It's not selfish to love yourself, take care of yourself, and to make your happiness a priority. It is necessary. A great quote by Mandy Hale. And another great quote to describe our guest today on HEAL, conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. Welcome to this episode of HEAL. We have a great guest on. His name is Ted Smith. He is the author of Healthy Me, Happy We. It's a book about transforming relationship, your relationship with yourself so that you can then have a great relationship with others in your life. Welcome, Ted. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're excited. Brittany's here with us, by Hello. the way. I'm here. <laughs> I absolutely love the, the title of your book because I, I just from the title, which I think every book should is like this, but just from the title, I can tell that it's, a, I know exactly what it's about. Um, and I feel like anyone should read this. So tell me what prompted you to write this book, Ted? Yeah, that's why we're here. That is the golden question, right? Um, yes, I'm dying to hear your whole story. And, and you can leave out bits and pieces that you feel like, or you can tell everything it's really we can we can go into as much detail as you'd like um (laughs) certainly the book is a little bit of a tell-all so um i am i've been on a healing journey for about two years um i had at that point i had ended a 15-year abusive relationship with an alcoholic narcissist um we got together when i was 17 um he was a little bit older than me and um I, at that time, was just starting to get comfortable with my sexuality, so it was my first gay relationship, and um, let's just say I learned a lot from that relationship. And yeah, and unfortunately, being your first probably serious relationship, you probably thought everything that you were learning or you know experiencing was probably normal, second-guessing everything that's ever happened in that relationship now, you know, in hindsight. Exactly. Yeah. It was my first adult relationship. It was my only adult relationship for 15 years. Um, I did. um, I dated a girl for four years in high school. So that was a serious relationship. But um, obviously being gay, there was uh, one critical component missing from that relationship. She and I are still very good friends. In fact, we're closer than ever. Um, I'm so happy. Um, and I would say we were both mature for our age, but still when you're a teenager, there's limitations as far as, um, you know, the, the maturity level of the relationship. So, um, so yeah, 15 years and, um, uh, we can discuss much of the detail here, but I know, you um, know what, for those who don't, uh, I feel like a lot of people that I talk to in my practice and, um, some of them are probably listening, will be listening to this podcast, but they they have dealt with narcissistic um, people, and it's just so damaging um, when someone comes to me and they explain what has the relationship they were just in and how they're not in it anymore, and how sometimes they feel like they just miss that person and they just want to go back, and and it's it just seems like such a um, I don't know how to describe it. I'm I'm using my hands. <laughs> You know, yeah. like they, they reel you back in yeah. and then, you know, you're strong enough to leave and then they reel you back in. Yeah. Um, it's, it just seems it's, so damaging. 
it's very interesting how it works. Um, I, when I made the decision two years ago, I cut that tie and I have not spoken to him directly Good. for, for two years. However, throughout the course of our 15 years, um, we did break up in quotes a couple of times and we tried an open relationship a couple of times. Um, that was kind of in the first five or six years of our relationship. Um, and interestingly enough, like I look back on it now and just kind of smile at my younger self because when we were broken up, I was, I was happier than ever. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> um, and then somehow, some way, you know, he convinced me to come back and they really, and I was, in. yeah, I was unhappy again. And it's like, I, you know, I laugh now because it's like, <laughs> it's so obvious to me now. Like, I just want to uh, take that younger self and kind of shake him. Um, yeah. But I, at the same time, I am so grateful that I stuck with it because if I had ended it even a year earlier than I did, I would not have gone through what I went through and that would not produce the book. And I'm mm -hmm. a coach now, so I can help people navigate um, the healing process from these relationships and other relationships as well um, with people who may not be as toxic. And my, my biggest message, my most important message is that it all comes down to the relationship with yourself. Absolutely. Um, yep. That is, I mean, we teach people how they are. We teach people how we will allow them to treat us and exactly. uh, not to put it all on you because obviously the other person has some accountability here, but yeah, if we continue to, to, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say anything too, too awful, but I feel like if we, we allow it to happen sometimes and people, yeah. you know, like if we treat ourselves like crap and we talk to ourselves like crap is exactly what I mean. I don't mean we allow abusers to abuse us. I mean, if we don't feel great about ourselves, then of course, why would anyone else? 100%. Yeah, we yeah. don't. We, we allow it to happen because of how subconsciously we treat ourselves. We don't Correct. ask for it to happen. We don't no. want it to happen. No. But what I've recognized now is like... Uh, for me in particular, I mean, for me as an example in the situation, how mm -hmm. much I abused myself mm -hmm. is what attracted someone to, into my life who treated me exactly like I treated myself. That's yeah. right. Right. And I, and I feel like they're hunters, almost narcissistic people are almost like um, hunters and you're the prey and they can smell it a mile away. Yeah. It's <laughs> insane it's how perceptive they are. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how well they can like my ex, you know, picked up on the things that I um, abused myself about the most. Mm -hmm. um, just use that for it. And use that to his advantage. Yep. Yep. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so happy that you're not in that space anymore. Um, you know, but me too. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so sad because there's so many people that are still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Life. And I, you know, I laugh and, and it's true. I don't want to go back to that. Um, but at the same time, when people tell me that they're sorry, I went through that. I, I appreciate the sentiment behind that, yes. but I, I would, I would do it again. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go back to it now, but again, I'm very grateful for those 15 years because of everything I learned from it. That's and right. now I am, the, I mean, I didn't even know life could be this good. Like I'm happier yeah. than yeah. I ever thought possible. Yeah. And it's because I experienced the flip side of that, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if I had had like a neutral or mildly problematic relationship, then I would be experiencing a lower level of happiness now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I can relate yeah. to that completely. Um, I got out of a toxic relationship and eventually, you know, I lived with my parents for, again, for a few months and then kind of like started a new life in some sense. And it was amazing just to like all the little things, like just to like explore the new city I was living in and do the things that I want to do and um, not feel that weight anymore. It was really cool. It, yeah, You're right. It gives you the sense of euphoria that um, feels that much more heightened because of all of the <laughs> anxiety and um you know, manipulation manipulative behavior and you suffered and the gaslighting and yep, you know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No comment. So. No comment. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. biting my tongue right now, Ted, because I really think good. I know exactly who she might be talking about. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good feeling. Yeah. And sure. I have to say, being Britt's mom, um, and so I want to say this to you, Ted, that the day that Britt decided to leave that relationship, I think I mean, I'm always very proud of her, but it's so hard to do something like that. I'm so very proud of her. Mm-hmm. I'm so very proud of you, Ted. It's hard, not easy to leave something. Yeah. No. Like, and I mean, it, you know, you feel like it's perhaps 15 years is a long time. Yeah. You know, you might feel like you don't, you can't go anywhere else or you don't have anyone else. Um, so I'm glad you made the break. I was, I was committed to believing that things would get better and they only just kept getting worse. And, um, it took a pretty horrific rock bottom experience for me to finally wake up and I'm grateful for it. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's something that, and I can give details if you'd like, but it was something that you see on TV and movies It's like, you know, experiencing it for myself. I'm like, is this really my life? I just can't even. And and that was what helped me realize like, oh my God, this is my life. If you feel comfortable, if you feel comfortable sharing, um, feel free to share as much as you like only because I'm thinking, you know, you never know who might hear it. And um, they may not realize that they're uh, at rock bottom. At rock bottom, quite right, quickly, right, you know? yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'll I'll provide the backstory too for the the fifteen years that led up to it, um, in as succinct as a manner as I can. <laughs> There's obviously more details in my book, but um, mm-hmm. you know, for the first five years of my relationship, so I was seventeen, he was twenty two, and I got together. When we got together, he was more experienced. He had been with other guys, and so. I viewed him as kind of the relationship expert and someone right. that I could look up to and trust. And like, he knew the ways of the of, you know, the dating world and I should just kind of trust that. Um, so for the first five years, it was very much an energy of me um, kowtowing to his demands and um, apologizing for every little thing that I did that would upset him. There really wasn't any standing up to him because I didn't see that that was necessary or appropriate. And then about five years in, um, there were a couple things that shifted the dynamic. Um, he had stolen a large sum of money from a community organization that we were both on the board for. 
And um, I had no idea he was man. He had a financial background, and so he was the one managing our finances. And um, so you he, relied on him for that as well. Uh huh. Yep. So now you're in financially. You're like, okay, I'm tied to this person forever because he's mm. in control of that. Yeah, we moved in together when I was 19, and immediately merged finances, which now I see as a huge red flag. Um, but at the yeah, time, you I learned, didn't. You're learning. I didn't know living. any better. Yeah, no, yeah. you didn't. Yeah. As a 19 year old, that seems like a dream come true. You're like, it wow, seems I'm, almost I'm, secure. Yeah, yeah, like I'm living with my boyfriend. We're sharing our finances. We're responsible adults. Like, yeah, of course you're gonna want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I had no idea that he was stealing this money and it, it, it was discovered. And when it was discovered, this, the board that we were on was a, a tight circle of friends as well. It was not just some like thing that we did on the side. These are the people that we hung out with on weekends and, and everything. Um, so there was this huge rift in that friendship and I had to make a decision of whether to stay with him or not. And the, the energy shift between us was you know, leading up to that moment, I always felt that I couldn't live without him. And at this moment, it was when I realized it was actually the opposite. It was he couldn't live without me. And so I felt an obligation to stay with him. Right. Um, because if I, if I left him, then he would be completely abandoned. Yeah. Of his um, own and, doing. Yep. Yeah. A, a, yeah. A couple of years later, later, he cheated on me. Um, and again, I stuck with him because I believed that, um, you know, he needed me, um, and that he was broken and that I could fix him. I was the rescuer. I yep. was the healer. Mm-hmm. I was the one who, you know, if I loved him hard enough, then he would change. Um, and that's a lot of pressure. If you do all the right things <laughs> and you love him hard enough and you, yeah, and you can't leave, so everything's going to be fine. As long yep. as I'm perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and perfect was 100% unattainable. Um, of course. Because yeah, when you're in a relationship. Post- yeah. The goalposts are always moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in a relationship with a narcissist. Where I was just going to say that. <laughs> so just, just when I thought I like met his needs and met his expectations, mm-hmm. it still wasn't good enough. And it was just, um, And as I'm saying this out loud, like that's very much how it was in my own head. I developed perfectionism at an early age as a way to get love and attention from my family. Yeah. Um, I had very loving parents as a kid, but we all go through these traumatic experiences as children that we may not realize are traumatic. And I developed perfectionism as a coping mechanism and a way to get love that because I perceived that that's how I needed to do that. So, right. It's also a sense of being in control too. So you can Uh control your output, whatever the output is. And, and when, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of control, I had obviously no control over this relationship. As the years went by, it just, it more and more just chaos is what ensued. Um, Mm -hmm towards the end, I mean, the, the days were just completely unpredictable as to what to expect. Um, so in addition to the abuse component, um, and, and speaking of which, like I, I didn't realize until the very end that what was happening was abuse. I re I knew I was unhappy. I knew I didn't like how he treated me. Yeah. 
but we had good times. And so I, you know, I, I thought that emotional abuse meant just constant fighting, constant ridicule, constant condescension. Mm-hmm. And I didn't learn until much later that there's a cycle of abuse and there is an intentional component of love bombing or mm-hmm. happiness or, you know, treating each other well, that's placed in there for the, for the abuser to keep the abused person around. Cause if that's it's never right. good, I believe most of us would get out sooner. Right. That he reeled you back in and reeled you back in and kept, like you said, love bombing. Um, yep. yep. That's what, that's what they do. Jeez. Yeah. So in addition <laughs> to the abuse component was, um, addiction. So, um, he was a heavy drinker for our entire relationship and around that five to six year mark, um, he had his first grand mal seizure. Oh my God. As a result of drinking too much and, um, the last decade of our relationship, his health just continued to deteriorate. I can um, imagine that you must have felt I really can't leave him now. Like mm-hmm. I need to stay here and make sure he doesn't die on me. Yeah. And the challenging part was that um, I, again, similar to not realizing it was abuse, I didn't realize he was an addict mm-hmm. until the very end as well. I knew he drank too much. I, could see that um, the more he drank, the worse his symptoms were. And his symptoms on an everyday basis would change. They were dizziness, weakness, headaches, body aches, memory loss, confusion, inability to walk, Jeez. nausea, like inability to sleep, sleeping too much. It, it, it was different every day. And so that contributed to the unpredictability of our day-to-day life. Um, and like I said, I, I knew that the more he drank, the worse his symptoms were, but I didn't realize that alcohol was literally the sole, sole source of all of his problems. Wow. Um, towards the end of our relationship, he lost his job and was home, um, 24 seven. And that just skyrocketed his, um, depression, anxiety and his substance abuse. And Um, it just got worse and worse and finally culminated in a moment where his body was so dependent on alcohol, it couldn't go eight hours without it. His body went into shock and he had three grand mal seizures in one night, um, which had never happened before. He, you know, he had a, a grand mal seizure like in 2010 and then another one a few months later and then didn't have another one for nine years. He had wow. all those, you know, severe symptoms throughout the way, but nothing as catastrophic or as, you know, terrifying as a grand mal seizure until early 2019. Um, and then so that night when he had the three grand mal seizures, I called 911. Um, during the last one, they admitted him to the hospital. He was in the ICU for a week going through alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. Um, were they treating him at all? Just curious. On, like, were they giving him anything for that or just making him go through cold turkey? So the week in the ICU, they, they treated him very uh, meticulously with certain drugs and stuff to get yeah. him withdrawn from the alcohol as well as Xanax. That was the other thing. Cause which, which apparently is one of the most lethal combinations that exists is alcohol oh, and Xanax. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, 
they told me that if I hadn't called 911 that night, he probably would have died. Like on the mm-hmm. spectrum of alcoholism, like the severity, the, the next step was death for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they had not, like if they didn't follow a very specific protocol with the medicines that yeah. week, he, he could have died in the hospital. Yeah, that's why I was asking. I was just curious. I yeah. had I had heard that um, withdrawing from alcohol can be, is the only, one of the only deadly addictions, something you can die from. And I didn't, I don't know if that's true or not. Someone had told me that and I thought, oh my God, I had no idea. Alcohol is actually more dangerous than most street drugs, yeah. which most people don't realize. Right. Um, the fact that it's legal when other drugs are not kind of baffles me. Um, mm-hmm. Hear that, Brittany? And, <laughs> and the awareness, you know, I, I feel like there's just a, a to- total lack of awareness. I mean, there's so many, and I, to be fair, I drank a fair amount as well for most of our relationship. Yeah. To the but point we all, where we, most of us do, most of us go through our twenties, mm-hmm. early twenties, late twenties. And that's what we do. It's social, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, it's normalized. And it's in normalized. fact, in a lot of ways, it's glorified. I've seen Very so much many so. memes and like, you know, funny things on the internet, especially during the pandemic where Ugh. people are joking about, oh, I've just been day drinking all day to get through the work day. And I'm like, that's just not funny to me anymore. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's the sort of joke that my ex would make. And look what, and look what happened to him. It's, it's not difficult to end up addicted to a very damaging, unhealthy substance. No, it's not. That's, that's probably one of the easiest ones. Yep. Um, so that week in the ICU, the, the night of the three seizures and the week in the ICU was rock bottom for me. Yeah. I mean, that, watching another human being, let alone my husband, like, (laughs) again, it was like something from a TV show or something because he was basically out of his mind during that week. Um, I would not wish that experience on anyone because watching someone you love have hallucinations and Mm. just lose complete control. And I mean, he was already a pretty angry person, but the level of anger and irritability that I saw from him that week. I mean, there was a moment where I thought he was going to punch me. Right. He was r- ripping IV needles out of his arms because he was so angry at me. Um, that was <laughs> unfortunately what I needed to wake up because until then it was just going through the motions and like, okay, what can I do next to save this? And, it was and at this point a you, of- you guys had gotten married. So now there's even a, a bigger level of commitment and responsibility and all of that that's hard to be able to say well i'm I'm leaving we were married for three years and it probably would have been sooner if the supreme court had ruled sooner Mm -hmm. um now i'm thankful that they ruled when they did and that we were only married for three years because the divorce process was as you can imagine frustrating um Mm -hmm. so anyway that all of that is what i needed to finally admit okay i need help and so I started seeing a therapist and going to Al-Anon meetings, which Al-Anon is the equivalent of AA, but for the family for members, family members yep. and friends of alcoholics, um, something else that I did not know existed at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, Unfortunately, I knew. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that's, and three months later, and um, I, I 
within the next three months, I learned more about self-love and self-healing and doing things to take care of myself. And I very quickly realized that this was not going to work any longer and that things would never change with the way he was. Um, and so I ended it. That's amazing. I think on that note, because when I want to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk about um, your journey toward um, self-love and self-healing. If you don't mind talking about that when we come back. I'd love to. Okay. We'll be right back. And we're back with Ted, who is the author of, I almost just called you Ted, Ted Smith, who is the author of Healthy um, Me, Happy We. I don't know why I'm giggly. I think it's the corkboard conversation. I'm so sorry. We were talking about how Ted was in a 15 year toxic relationship with his partner. Um, And I want to talk to him on this segment about how he overcame that and how he is working toward his own journey of self-love, self-worth, and how he got to write his book. So what you were seeing a therapist, but then how did you know and what made you think that I don't love myself enough and that's why this is happening? What happened? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll go back to childhood. Um, as I mentioned before, perfectionism was a, a large part of my story as a kid. Um, I was a straight A student all through high school and most of college and um, with no pressure whatsoever from my parents, mm-hmm. I very much put so much pressure on myself, like anything less than an A on an assignment or a test, sometimes even less than an A plus was not good enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the turmoil that I would put myself through if, if, when, if, and when I made mistakes was so unhealthy that on top of my journey with my sexuality, mm-hmm. um, again, no, no, uh, lack of love for my family. My parents are very loving and supportive, but I didn't know that that would be the case. And so Mm -hmm. when I was a teenager, I went through several years of just self-loathing and um, just really not accepting myself for who I was and and questioning and and trying to change myself. Like I said, I was in a a four-year relationship with a girl and we, um, I wanted to be with her and, and she wanted to be with me. And so we, we tried to change that and it obviously did not work. Um, and we got to a place where we thought that yeah, we concluded that I was bisexual because I wanted to be with her. Mm-hmm. Um, since realized that wasn't the case that I am gay. Um, but the, the journey toward that acceptance did a number of me in terms of, um, you know, the self-abuse that I put Can I ask myself. you what part of the country you grew up in as well? Southern Illinois. So the Midwest, mm-hmm. small town, mm-hmm. um, I was so sheltered as a kid that I didn't even know gayness was a thing. Oh, wow. How old yeah. are you? I'm 34. So I, I was born oh, in you 87. Look fabulous. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you were born in 87? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's the year I graduated from high school. Oh, sorry. Go on. Who invited um, him on this podcast? <laughs> um, yeah. So I grew up in the 90s in yeah. Southern Illinois and it just, you know, it, it took bullies in my grade school in my class to make fun of me for being gay, for me to even learn and hear what gay was. I just didn't know. Um, 
So yeah, so that coupled with the perfectionism are the kind of the two main things that led to an unhealthy relationship with myself, yeah. which then attracted the, you know, the 15 year relationship. Wow. Um, and there are other elements as well, but those, those are kind of the key things that, um, that led to that and that I needed to begin to heal. And so in the last three months of the relationship with him, I really finally started to to take care of myself, sleeping better, distancing myself from him when sometimes that's the first, the only thing you can do is just separate yourself. Uh And it was, it did not take me very long to read because what we do is, and I always, I always mix up the wording of this, but like we only tolerate a level of abuse from somebody else that we put onto ourselves. And so once I lowered that threshold for myself, I very quickly realized that, you know, what he was doing was not acceptable. Yeah, um, and probably much worse than what you were doing to yourself too, I hope. In some ways, yes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, with the support of my therapist and I had found a support group on Facebook for, for um, individuals living with narcissist emotional abuse. Um, I made a plan for myself to get out of there. I cut him off, cut off all contact with him. I have not spoken to him directly in two years. And um, yeah, separation was needed for me to heal um, and to move on because as I think we've talked about earlier, there are a lot of individuals who um, find themselves in relationships with narcissists. And if they maintain contact, then there's a much higher likelihood of getting sucked back in. Yep. It's a pattern. Mm -hmm the pattern, you know, and the people that I've worked with, they just feel like I miss him so much. And I, I, I always say to them and I'm, I may be wrong, but I say, you just miss the idea of being in a relationship. That's not something that, you know, yeah, you have to heal yourself and, and believe that you're worthy of something just a little bit different and a little bit more. Yeah. And we don't want to admit that the relationship that we're in is toxic. We, we feel these super intense feelings, these really high highs and these really low lows. And we latch on to those high highs. I was actually just having dinner with a friend of mine um, last week who she was in a, a relationship and, and still is, she's working on getting out of it um, where she disappeared from her friends for four years. I hadn't seen her in four years. Um, because of and- her relationship, right? And in this conversation of talking about her partner and how abusive she is and, and all these things that I could relate to, she was also reading my book and explaining, you know, how Mm -hmm. she could relate, um, in the next breath, she's like, you know, I, I just miss her so much and I want to be with her, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like from an external standpoint, looking in, you're like, how can you think that? But when you're mm-hmm. in it, it's, it's hard to explain when you're in yeah. it. It's just, it's how you feel. And it just you means have to that, that person yourself. is doing their narcissistic job. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And it's funny because, you know, when I mentioned before, um, how, you know, moving to the new, the new city where I live now and like es- escaping that relationship and having all these euphoric moments at the same time, there'd be days where I'd wake up like on a Sunday and think, oh man, like, I really wish I could go to breakfast, you know, with my boyfriend, we'd have so much fun if he was here with me. And then you think, Oh my God, like, no, no. Cause you'd be fighting about, yeah, you'd be fighting about something in two Mm -hmm. seconds. Like you have to really take, you know, the, the good and 
cement the fact that there was more bad to get yourself yeah. past it, I think. At least that's what I was able to do. Yep. One thing that was recommended to me during that process was to make a list of all of his transgressions of things that he had done against me and um, during the relationship. And it was a very lengthy list. And then the idea is to keep that list in mind and read it anytime you're missing them or wanting to go back to them or considering it. Yeah. Great. That's a great little strategy and technique to teach people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to keep it top of your mind. So Totally. <laughs> so what did you do anything? Um, what did you start doing to take care of yourself other than separating, disconnecting? Yeah. What else did you do? Um, sleeping was <laughs> one of them. I, you know, I've always loved sleep, sleep is so important. It's, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, not, I'm not even being funny. Like it's, it's so, so important it, because we make better decisions when we have a good night's sleep. We take better care of ourselves when we sleep well. I mean, yeah. So and important. I was, I was in a place where I, I craved and I loved sleep and I still do, but I was not getting good quality sleep because mm -hmm. I was so stressed out and worried about him. I mean, he and I even slept in different beds because of his health problems and well, because I also didn't want to, but even still the stress of being with him and not knowing what to expect from one moment to the next. And, you know, even issues through the night, there were moments where I felt like I was with, you know, taking care of a newborn, not yeah. having a relationship with a spouse. Um, so sleep was a very important. Um, I, I picked up running, um, which the running has been very therapeutic for me. It's a good way to clear my head and things like that. And, um, going to Alan on meetings and therapy. Those were the, those were the first steps that I took while he and I were still together. Mm -hmm. And then, um, once we separated, I was, you know, I started to cook for myself and exercising more. And, um, and then on top of therapy, I found, I came across an organization called gay man thriving on Facebook that provides coaching services to gay men. And, um, I joined their programs and, uh, I've been working with them for um, almost two years now. That's and awesome. I, be I believe that coaching coupled with therapy has been the reason that I have uh, transformed so quickly in two years. Not a lot of people who um, are recovering from narcissistic relationships can say, you know, have the same experience of being just a completely different person two years later. And you must feel amazing. I feel incredible. I feel alive. Alive. Yeah. Reborn. Like I, I, I didn't know this was possible. It's right. like a whole new world. I remember an early session with my therapist um, when she talked about this whole new world that she has experienced uh, since her recovery. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like you're sitting right in front of me uh, physically. We're in the same world. It's not like you're living somewhere else. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, okay. I got I it. it. Like it's the same external environment. But when you have a flourishing relationship with yourself, like the colors are brighter and mm -hmm. the people that you attract to your life are different as well. Yep. Like, yep. obviously I had a toxic relationship with my ex-husband, but I had other relationships that were not necessarily hundred percent healthy either. And those have kind of fallen away. Not they usually do I, when you start taking yeah. care of yourself and you start to hire your vibration and feel good and do all like you start to feel really good. So when you're, when you mm -hmm. feel good, then you're in alignment with who you're supposed to be. 
when you feel bad in any way in your body or your mind, then you're not in alignment. And, and when you are in alignment, you do attract the people you're supposed to attract. Attract, yeah. And all those other people kind of just go away. It's so yep. strange, but it's so cool mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. You know, you finally realize that you deserve better. Yeah. Right. So that I, prompted you to write your book. Did you write your book in less than two years? Less than one year, actually. I, uh, <laughs> I, um, so it was a, it was a live retreat with Gay Man Thriving in December of 2019. Um, it's a group of about 50 guys and I shared, oh, I was about five months out of my relationship and I shared my story there. And, um, there were several guys who came up to me and thanked me for sharing and saying they got a lot out of it. And one, I'll never forget the first time I was told that like a guy said, you inspire me, um, which to me is like the best compliment I could ever receive. Yeah. And then another guy said, you know, I, I was never in an abusive relationship, so I can't relate to you in that respect. But what I got out of your story was it's never too late for me to, um, claim happiness for myself and yeah. like to make that decision. Right. And in that moment it clicked and I'm like, Oh, like I can, there's something here. Like I can help people with my story. Yep. And so that was kind of my first introduction to moving into a place of coaching and then a few months later, um, I had a session with a psychic and Ooh, I've interviewed a few psychics on my podcast. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and in that conversation, he asked me, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, you know, I, I wrote a couple fiction pieces and as a teenager, <laughs> and I had thought since leaving my ex, like maybe I could pick those back up and refresh them, but I just didn't really didn't really resonate with me. And he said, well, that's not what I'm seeing for you. I'm seeing a book about relationships. That's going to be your story. And it's, you're going to use it to help people. And, um, that's what got the gears turning. And, um, a few months later I joined a coaching program for authors nice. and it was a four month group program. And by the end of that, I had the first draft of my manuscript. That's amazing. Yeah. And I bet writing it was also very therapeutic. It's very therapeutic. I, um, you know, there were things in there that I was surprised that I felt okay to share. Um, yeah. And then like with each iteration of the drafts that I went through, I would sit and read it out loud to myself because as I learned from my author coach, we read things differently when, it, when we hear it or we edit things differently when we hear it versus yeah. when we're just reading it in our own Especially minds. when it's our own writing, we miss a lot of things when we're reading mm -hmm. it because we wrote it. So of course our brain is kind of thinking the same way we wrote it. We might miss a lot. Yep. And so by reading it out loud to myself, um, I got to a, a more and more of a place of neutrality with respect to my story. It was not a matter of, um, like I wasn't numbing myself or becoming numb to the story. It was like, yeah, I, I went through this and it's okay. Um, it's not, it's not who you are. You became an observer of your life and, and mm -hmm. you didn't attach yourself to all of it. You just, yep. it, it's what happened. Right. Yeah. And there yeah. is, there's healing involved in the process of helping others heal as well. We have Absolutely. to do our, we have to do our own work. That's first and foremost. Yeah. Um, 
but by sharing my story and knowing that it's helping others, like when we, when we're in the presence of other people's healing, we heal as well. Yep. I can't agree with you more. <laughs> I 100,000% so, yeah. agree. <laughs> I, uh, I published the book. I, um, the date just happened to fall on this date, but I, I made sure that it happened. It was the two year anniversary of him landing in the ICU. Um, wow. Says that a lot can change in two years. Yep. Um, and since then I have announced to the world that I am a coach for people. Um, I call myself a relationship coach, but the primary relationship being the one with yourself. Um, and so how can people, um, get, uh, hire you where, how can they get in touch with you for your yeah, coaching so, services? Sure. So I'm at, um, all of my services and, and things like that are at my website, tedsmith.life. Tedsmith.life. Yep. Um, tedsmith.com was taken. If you can believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Ted Smith, um, that's a strange, uh, uncommon name. I'm surprised. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, I almost was like, are we sure his name is Ted Smith when we had him on Brittany? <laughs> 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 at least my Ted first Smith. name isn't like John or, you know, George. I know. Um, um, so yeah, you can connect with me, with me there. I have my Instagram, my Facebook, the link to my book is also there. And then, um, send me an email. I'm at, at Ted at tedsmith.life um, to book a complimentary session um, mm -hmm. to see if it's a good fit for us to work together. I obviously, you know, I have a special place in my heart for those who are in or are recovering from uh, abusive relationships. Um, but I work with other clients as well um, mm -hmm. who just need help with the relationships that they're in and or if they're you know, not in a romantic relationship per se, but just having some challenges. And obviously, like I said, it all comes back down to the relationship with yourself. And That's absolutely true. It's so easy to blame external circumstances, whether it's our job or the city we live in or the house or the, the pets that we have or the, you know, kids that drive us crazy <laughs> for our problems. And it a lot of people just don't realize that it really comes down to how you relate to yourself. Yeah. So some people aren't even aware that they even have those discussions with themselves. You know, awareness is very important. Um, and understanding what you're thinking is really important. Being aware of what you're thinking, feeling, because once you start to listen to your inner discussion, inner dialogue, you might find that you are not so nice to yourself. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It's right? the idea of you know, we can allow the thoughts to still be there, but allow them to pass and not letting them consume us. Don't attach to the thoughts. You are not your thoughts. You Being are the of observer of the thoughts. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so a meditation I, teacher. <laughs> yeah. I was going to also add, um, when you asked the question of about self-care meditation has been, Oh, isn't it one of changed huge. my life for me, it was not something I started right away while I was still with my ex. Um, but it's something that I do every day now, at least mm -hmm. 15 to 20 minutes. Um, I find that it's a preventive practice for me so I can still have as busy. It absolutely or is. It's not a band-aid fix. It's something like a, like a diet or an exercise routine that you, you really should practice daily to get the best benefit. Right. It's, it's not, it's somewhat helpful, but it's not as helpful if you're like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. I got to meditate. 
<laughs> which is how I would do it sometimes like I before I learned that no it's something to do towards the start of the day it's yeah. it's recommended to do it first thing it's not something that I have been able to do being not a morning person um but I find that if I do it within the you know first couple hours of waking up then the rest of my day is much it's certainly different isn't it yes yeah, yeah. it's better at least you're more aware during your non-meditative state that you are you you become more aware of when you're not present and those that's the best yep. benefit as far as I'm concerned and then mm-hmm. you are able to bring yourself right back yeah and that still is very much um something that I'm healing and growing with respect to because you know in a 15 year toxic relationship I was never in the present <laughs> No, I was either worrying you know, about folks. what was going to happen or thinking about something you could have done differently. Yeah. You 100%. were like here and here, you were never mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. for those who can't see I'm pointing <laughs> that way and the other way. <laughs> I was constantly, you know, trying to plan out every possible future scenario so that yep. I knew how I could react in each yep. possible situation and you each were branching off point. Constantly in fight or flight, you are just figuring out what to do next. Yeah, I get it. Been there. So that it takes a while to heal and resolve from that coping mechanism. Yep. Yeah, I still have some. um, I remember I went to. I started therapy right before the pandemic. (laughs) It was just like I don't need my whole life. I've said I don't need therapy. I can do this on my own. And for the most part, I have pretty much. Like Brittany knows my story more or less. I don't know. I probably haven't told her everything, but, um, you know, like just growing up was not easy and, um, for various reasons. And, um, oh my God, where the hell was I going with that? You're talking about therapy. Oh, so I decided to go to therapy, which was not my thing at all. And as quite frankly, I, I only visited her a few times, which she's fabulous. And now we text cause we're friends, but I, I stopped going. But she said I was a control, she didn't call me a control freak, but she said, you like to control situations. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. That was eye-opening that I realized, of course, I, of course I do, because I had no control as a kid, which Mm -hmm. kids do. But when things happen to you as a kid that are super traumatic and, and you don't know if something bad's going to happen again, you kind of want to control things when you get older (laughs) and be in control of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was eye-opening yep. for me to realize that I actually like to be in control of things. I'm not sure I changed anything about it, but it kind of helps you think about what you're doing though, you know, mm-hmm. well, like when you're feeling these big feelings that you can't really articulate, you can kind of just think back and being like, okay, well, there's clearly a reason why I feel this way. And it's not because I'm stupid or, you know, whatever, you know, so it's kind of nice. Well, to know that the reason why I felt felt the need to control situations and and then of course a pandemic started and <laughs> I'm, I think I mentioned a, a school teacher um, by trade and uh, we were talking about school being canceled and then going virtual. It just was, I had no, con- no one had control, but I right. was, I started having panic attacks um, after years and years and years of being a meditation teacher and a Reiki master teacher and knowing all of the strategies I, I had in my toolbox and how to use them and was using them. I was having panic attacks, but I think it was because I couldn't, 
well, based on what my therapist said, mm. I really couldn't control what was happening. You yeah. know, I couldn't, no one could, but you know, like. It's a, <sighs> a response, you know, it, you know, when things are traumatic, it, I think it brings out those past feelings and I think sometimes that's it brings out a visceral response or yeah non, it's like a response that I didn't even know is still there in my body but it was yep, the trigger yeah. yep yeah, yeah absolutely yep yeah I can relate to the to an extent around the control like I I had no control over that relationship but as I look back like you know the the future planning and all the things that I did navigating, especially when like he was having his, his health episodes and just remembering how I would jump to his aid and um, just try to anticipate any possible thing that would happen. I very much was in a place of trying to control because I, I had no control None. over the situation. Right. Well, I'm so glad that you're in, in such a be much better place. And I, I know that your story has helped others already, but I'm sure will help so many more. Mm -hmm. um, we're so grateful to have you on and thank yeah. you for being so honest with your story. I do, I have said this before um, and I'm going to, um, I'm not gonna quote Andrea Vaughn because I know I'm not getting the quote right. She was one of our first <laughs> guests, but she said once that once she told her story, it became less of her shame and more of the other, the abuser's um, responsibility. So she held mm -hmm. on to her story for a long time. And when she finally told it, it was no longer her, her shame. Mm -hmm. It was his, like his responsibility. It was his, yeah. his yeah. shame and his, um, I forget what she said, but. It was something like that though. It was but, really but good. But it totally applies yeah. to the situation. Once you tell your story, not only does it become his um, issue, but you're also helping others and you're also um, taking it off of your shoulders. So it's a little bit lighter too for you to carry because now right. it's all of us. We all know your story and we're all here for you. I think mm -hmm. anyway, if you ever need anything, Ted? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for you. I appreciate you. that. Of course. <laughs> but we appreciate having you. Yeah, it was, I, I really really enjoyed it. I enjoy sharing my story. One thing I, I wanted to add is that, you know, for the, for the listener who can relate to some aspects of my story, but not all like still, still listen. Um, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people, um, might hear aspects of a narcissistic experience and be like, well, my, my husband doesn't do that. So he mm -hmm. must not be a narcissist mm -hmm. or, my husband doesn't drink all day, every day. So he must not be an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. We can't necessarily make, or we shouldn't necessarily make those, draw those conclusions. Um, it's, you know, what I share in my, in my book is a very extreme version yep. of a story. Um, and if there's aspects of it to the, to it that you can relate to, it's important to kind of observe that for yourself and potentially seek help. Yeah. And to your point about healthy me, um, even if you're not in a relationship, but you realize that you're not very kind and caring to yourself, this, they can use this as an example that you must be. I mean, yeah. the second you start taking care of yourself and realizing your worth, the right people will definitely be there for you. So 
it is always important to be taking care of yourself because if you're single and you're looking for somebody else to do that for you, it's probably not going to end well. No, it might not be the right situation. Yep. Well, Ted, we usually end our podcast by asking our guests three questions. Okay. Um, I would have Brittany ask you one, but I don't know if she knows what they are. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember the first one. It's what's your favorite self-help book, right? The second one. <laughs> Brittany, I'll let you ask the second one. <laughs> That'll give me some time to think about it. <laughs> no, you have to think about this one. Okay. So, Ted, when you are at your most peaceful, what are you doing? Oh, I would say on the couch with my cats. I was going to say sleeping. <laughs> How many cats do you have? I have two. We have one. He's an old man. He's going to be 19 this month. Oh, wow. My boys just turned 15. Um, oh. Yeah, so they've been with me through a lot. <laughs> I bet. I'm going to show yep. you a picture of our cat. I call him our cat, but, you know, Brittany doesn't live here anymore. Yeah. Look he, at this I, picture of him. Isn't he so handsome? Oh, oh he's got beautiful eyes. He yes, does. he's orange and green eyes. Yeah, he's a he's an old soul for sure. His name's yeah. Kramer. He's a really good boy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, so Brittany, I, go ahead. I, I, have question, I have the next question then. <laughs> um, oh wait. Oh lap. Oh my gosh. Do, are they uh, siblings? Uh, there's only one there, right? There's only one in the picture. Yeah. Um, and do they look the same? Like, do they look alike or are they totally different? Joey is, is like more white and cream, primarily mm -hmm. white. Um, they are, I was told they were not siblings. Um, however, I feel like they have similar coloring and they actually have the same birth date. Oh, so I've always kind of questioned that. That's but, weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have the same mother and the same birth date, but no, they're not siblings. Oh, look oh, at baby. It. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Is that that's both right. of them, right? Yeah, that's both right of them. Yeah. Okay. Oh, they're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have the next question for you. What is your favorite uh self-help book? Or if your favorite book is not a self-help book, what is it? Oh, that's a good question. Um <laughs> Well, obviously, I'm partial to Healthy Me, Happy We by Ted Smith. That's a really good book I heard. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Byron Katie's Loving What Is. It's a, great, um, it's a great book that helps us with codependency and realizing, like, again, going back to control, like we try to control other people. And her interviews with people in that book show that, no, it really all comes back. Like our, any level of um, dissatisfaction or um, struggle or, um, I can't think of the word, um, like just struggling with ourselves, um, with, with other people always comes down to the meaning that we attach, yeah. it, attach to it in our own head. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, my favorite Katie. book of all time. Yeah. Byron Katie. Um, okay. favorite book of all time is the last Harry Potter book. <gasps> That's a good one. I'm a huge fan. I've read it probably seven or eight times. Who's yeah. Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter. Ready, let's yeah. go. Where's your accent? <laughs> no, I can't do it on the spot. Yes, you can. <laughs> where have you, where has my child gone? I don't know. 
<laughs> Brittany has Brittany has read every single book. I don't know how many times. Brittany yeah. used to fall asleep to every the book this book on CD. Yes, there yeah. were CDs back then. <laughs> um, I still have it on Audible now. <laughs> yep. Um, Brittany still. has seen every single movie. I don't know how many times. Yeah. And I haven't. <laughs> I haven't done all yeah, of them. Yeah, she, she hasn't watched any of them with me. But my sister Kathy did all of that stuff. So, you know, mm-hmm. she had a partner in crime, just I not did. me. Yeah. They would yeah. go to the Barnes and Noble midnight releases and then mm-hmm. she'd read the whole thing in a day or two. And I'd be like, yep, that was <laughs> me. Yeah, good times. Yeah, I read the last one. The last one was so good. Um, I got it at midnight. I read it for, I think, four hours. I went to bed for like three hours and then I read it for like 10 hours after that. It was a good day. Yeah, you guys were born around the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I grew up with Harry Potter. Like I, you know, the first yeah. few books, I was his age when the books came out mm-hmm. and uh, I have chills just thinking about it. Like the, there's so much literally magic to that story. Um, and, you know, when you're in a abusive relationship, like it's a great way to escape, like to go mm-hmm. to this world where all these, you know, fantastic things happen. Have you been to the wizarding world of Harry Potter? I have. Um, I went with my ex, so it wasn't super great experience. You're going to have to go back. <laughs> I want to go back because when I went, um, it was only half, so they hadn't expand- done the expansion yet. Um, so yeah, that's that's on my list. And- want to hear a funny story that I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell about that, that trip that Britt and I took? Of course. <laughs> Brittany, do you remember? This is funny. <laughs> it's so embarrassing, but not really. I wouldn't tell it if it was so embarrassing because I like to <laughs> laugh at myself, but we were able to get early access into the park because we stayed at this specific hotel. So we got there and there weren't a lot of people in the park yet. And we were walking toward the Harry Potter <laughs> exhibit or whatever you call it. The Wizarding Second. World of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And I, we couldn't find the entrance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. But you know what? I think, I think they do that on purpose. No, they it, did. Like, we just couldn't secret. find the entrance. It was like a secret, you know, you go to Diagon Alley, it's secret. We had to like ask <laughs> the guy in the in the night bus. It was like behind a wall with a little entrance that we couldn't see. And I was like, oh, like, where is it? Was. Oh, I love it. That's yeah. awesome. So we were super muggly that day. <laughs> if that's a word. Great. Yeah. It is now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. One more question. Ready? If money weren't an object, what would you be doing with yourself? Coaching. Awesome. Yeah. Do you know that I think every single guest that we've had has said exactly what I'm doing? Yep. Maybe. I mean, some people add a couple of other things, but. Yeah. I'm transitioning out of a corporate gig right now. I still do that full time. Um, But coaching is my passion. It's what I want to do. Yep. It was what you were um, meant to do. You went through all of that bullshit so you could come now and help other people go through it. Yep, yep, yep. And traveling too. I'll add that to the list. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wizarding (laughs) World of Harry Potter. (laughs) I hope that they pay me for this ad. (laughs) (laughs) Free trip to Universal for us. Yay! (laughs) We can all go together. Yes. <laughs> so one more time, you can get Ted Smith's book. Is it um on Amazon or should they go to your website and click a link? It's on Amazon. Okay. Um, so you, yeah. and the the link on my website will take you to the Amazon. Yeah. Okay. So it's Healthy Me, Happy We, Transforming Relationships with Yourself and Others. Um, you can go to his website, tedsmith.life. You can also email him and make sure I get this right, Ted, because I wrote it fast as you were talking ted at tedsmith.life correct yep okay so you can email him um you can book a coaching 
a quick in, introduction coaching type session to see if his coaching um, will work with you. If you can make it, if you're a good match for his coaching, uh, but also you should get his book. So if you feel like, not even if you're in a narcissistic relationship, if you're just in, well, if you're in a, what you feel like is maybe not a healthy relationship, if you feel like you probably don't treat yourself very well and you want to get it, have a better relationship with yourself, um, get his book. Look for it on Amazon. It's Healthy Me, Happy We by Ted Smith. Ted, do you have anything else you want to add or share with our listeners? I think that's all I've got. I mean, my, my main message is all about the healthy relationship you have with yourself. Everything else just kind of falls into place when you make that your number one focus. That's yeah. right. You make the best decisions for yourself when you truly understand your worth. Mm -hmm. well, well, thank 100%. you so much. Britt, do you have anything you want to say? No, thank you so much, Ted. This was great. Um, you know, it's, it's important to share these stories. So I appreciate you coming on and talking to us today. Right. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it being here. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Britt and I will be back in just another second. And here I am. I am back, just came back to say one more time, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited that you enjoy this podcast and keep coming back for more. We can't wait to see you next time. But until then, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease. Thank you. Bye.